takes. This is episode four, so hopefully y'all can start to tell we kind of know what we're doing now. But if not, just email Brian and not me. That would be <laughs> that would be better. But anyhow, I'm Chase, uh, playing the role of host today as Brian is out, which is why it is much easier to promote his email for the complaints instead of mine. But I'm not going it alone. I do have David Musiaro here in the co-pilot chair. David, what's going on, man? Uh, you just had so much fun in episode two. You had to come back, right? That's right. Had to come back and wanted to do a little extra talking since I don't do enough talking during the day. Also, everyone knows, uh, too, that you are a saint for dealing with me. So now you just got to put a uh, extra 45 minutes uh, with your favorite partner on the calendar. So, And more importantly, before we get going, I know everyone listening to this wants to know, how are the twin girls? What's going on? I haven't yeah. seen them in a bit. Yeah, the twins are doing absolutely wonderful. We're a little over six months now, and they're growing. It's their joy, and my life and my wife's life, they are just absolutely wonderful. And it's great to see their development as they continue to grow and put on some weight and height and catch up to us. So, Yeah, six months, right? Six months, yeah. It's yeah. Been uh, a wild ride so far. Yep, I know. That's right, man. Um, perfect. Also for the episode today, I am super, super excited for our extra amazing guest, Mrs. Callie Cox. Uh, she is an investment analyst at eToro based here in Charlotte. Uh, she teaches customers about the power of capital markets in their wallets and their lives. She's passionate about helping investors of all skill levels learn how to think about investing. She has worked with Ally Invest, LPL, Tab Group, and Bloomberg. Her work has been featured on CNBC, Bloomberg, The Financial Times, Yahoo Finance, Barron's, et cetera, et cetera. And more importantly, a great friend of mine. And in my own words, she is one of the best people I know at making complicated things simple, which is a true talent that we all know that I don't have. Uh, Callie, welcome to Docs It Takes. We're really honored to have you on. How are you? Chase. Oh my goodness. I am so honored to be here. And that intro just floored me. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I wrote it myself. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, so happy to be here and uh, ready to chat about markets in such a in such a weird spot that we're in right now. Yeah, you know, we, when we put this on the calendar, I think all the banks in the U.S. were fine. Uh, and, you know, that's sometimes how scheduling works, right? Which is nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really wild. I mean, obviously... The Silicon Valley Bank news happened a few weeks ago, and ever since then, I feel like we've had to kind of tear up our notes and start over on everything. So yeah, right. It's been fun to almost commiserate around that. I know. Uh, okay, so before we dive in, though, let me always—I uh, know you need disclosures, we need disclosures, all of that. So nothing we say here is investment advice. Uh, we do not know your personal situation, your goals, or any other variables that we use to create a financial and investment plan for you and your family. Callie, David, and I are here just chatting, and of course, you're welcome to reach out at anyone at Docs Capital if you're interested in a tailored financial plan for you. So we got that done. Now we're going to talk some markets. Obviously, Callie, you know we have we have really good questions for you. I will, you know, for our listeners, right? I'll kind of set the stage. Uh, you know, from our last podcast, you know, was about uh, I don't know four or five weeks ago, but um, from the highest level, we're sitting here last day of Q1. Right. And so we came in um, to the quarter. Everyone was, you know, slowing was going down. Everyone was, was kind of on that recession watch. Right. Things were actually pretty decent. February data was pretty good. And we were, you know, hey, 
maybe, uh, you know, we have a soft landing coming, a no landing. You know, you had all of that talked about everyone kind of gearing up, right, for that, oh, wait, maybe we have to do more or, or is the economy harder than we thought. And as uh, Cal, as you already said, so you had SVB, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. That happened in the middle of March. And just frankly, they went under. Uh, that it then calls to the contagion question, um, banking crisis. Is there going to be more deposit runs, et cetera, et cetera? This isn't going to be a podcast just about banks, uh, but it, it happened. And the really, the thing is, is that altered, right? The the outlook of of the February saying, you know, hey, maybe things are great. And now, um, you know, you had uh, uh, the Federal Reserve take maybe a little bit more caution, kind of everyone else is taking more caution because of that situation. We don't necessarily know how that plays out. So that's kind of me setting the stage for Q1 um, and kind of what happened, right? So now um, we can kind of unpack basically everything I just said. So that's, <laughs> that's the, that's, okay. that's the, uh, the cadence I guess we're going with. Um, so Callie, first thing for you, uh, what is your take here as it is Doxa takes, right? Uh, bank deposit pressure. That was, uh, obviously kind of the, the culprit, I guess, uh, of what we're looking at, at SVB first Republic. Um, however, it's what everybody's been talking about for two, three weeks. We know, however, inflation is still there. Inflation still the gorilla. The Federal Reserve is obviously still concerned about it. So do you see, hey, we are still on a good trajectory of, of the disinflation? Or are you you know, saying, hey, February was real. That uptick was real. Maybe it, it actually is coming back, right? And then obviously, does the banking change all that? How does that, how does that, uh, that work? So Chase, I'm going to make it a little simple on myself. And I'm going to take banking out of it for the moment. I think... A lot of analysts and market watchers can agree if we didn't have this banking meltdown uh, a few weeks ago that inflation was on the higher side and it seemed like the Fed couldn't get it down. And even worse, if you dig into inflation data, you have goods inflation, which is essentially the price you're paying on these raw goods that can be affected by supply chains. And then you have services inflation, which is the price you pay for squishier things like haircuts and vet bills and uh, plane tickets, for example, that are less dependent on supply chains and the movement of goods. Well, services inflation is still fiery hot, and that's that's the part of inflation that the Fed can control. Uh, that's demand side. The Fed can't control supply chains, uh, but it does have a heavier hand in controlling demand through interest rates in the job market. Um, so taking the banking stuff out of it for a second, Inflation was still quite high. And even at 6%, I think CPI came in at 6% in February. I mean, that's still that's still way too high for the Fed's liking. But if you work the banking stuff back in, it almost seems to work in the Fed's favor because um, obviously we don't like that a few banks melted down. As you mentioned, Silicon Valley Bank closed. It was the 16th largest bank in the US. Um, that closure of those banks and then the flight we saw uh, from deposits can have real effects on the economy. It can make banks a little more nervous, um, you know, focus on their balance sheets a little bit more and tighten up their lending standards, which comes out in, in the effect of, you know, people not being able to borrow money as easily. And then it just headlines make everybody a little bit more cautious. Mm -hmm. So in a weird way, that could be the Fed saving grace. That could help us bring inflation down through you know, tighter borrowing standards and through, you know, possibly some effects on the job market. It's not the best way to get there. It's not 
it's not the soft landing we're all hoping for, but it could solve this big inflation problem. And I want to add too, um, there's been this tug of kind of tug of war between inflation and a recession, what the Fed should care about more. And while a recession isn't a great story, like you don't, I never want to advocate for, you know, people losing their jobs or higher unemployment. Higher, I don't think people focus on the fact that higher inflation is also a really bad scenario in itself. It drives a wedge through society and kind of warps our thoughts around, you know, how we use our money and how we invest. So there are a few bright spots in, you know, some weakness coming to the forefront here. Um, it's just really hard to kind of contextualize that <laughs> in the right. kind of in the sense of everything going on. Right. And, and so to go back to something you said there too. So like the, the service inflation, as you said, service is hot. I'm not going to let us talk about that without even dividing that right to the services and housing because housing's in the services, right? Yeah. Which is the, um, you, you might know, is it, is it 40% of the index or 60? It's very large. I don't Sur- know which services as a percent of CPI. It's like, 50. no, the ho- housing itself. It's oh, like it's, 40. it's like 30 or something. 30, it's yeah. a big portion. Yeah. It's the biggest. Yeah. And so I know, you know, the, the fed is constantly right. Services X housing, you know, because of the housing story, are, are you a buyer of that story that, that rents are coming down and that that's going to help us? Or it's kind of like, look, it's, it hasn't yet. Like, we'll, we'll see. I think real-time data is showing us that rents are coming down. Of course, right. Powell, Powell says this themselves. You have to divide it into new leases and then existing leases that sure. are rolling over. Um, and I think where we're seeing price prices not coming down necessarily, but cooling off is in the new leases. I might have that wrong. But I do agree with Powell that it's important to look at services X housing because right. that's a totally different ballgame over there. Rents matter. I mean, in the end, we're we pay our rent. It's part of how we think about prices. But at the same time, it's subject to different factors. It's subject to different, you know, headwinds and tailwinds than other parts of the economy. The really the really tough part about it is that services X housing is even more demand sensitive. It's even more sensitive to the fact that we're all spending money and, you know, generally we're seeing those prices rise because companies know we're all spending money. So the problem there is that we may have to see some weakness in the job market to get it down. And as the months yeah. go on and we can't get services inflation down, that becomes more and more evident. Now to go like real time here this morning, we had our, our PC data. It's another, uh, another way to measure inflation, um, outside of CPI. Um, so I pulled out something here uh, for you, Callie, cause yeah, I, I mean, totally services X housing, as you said, right. The, the Fed, that's what they're keyed in on. Right, that is your inflation. That that seems to really be be sticky. So services X housing this morning, right, uh, month over month, it came out at zero point two seven percent. That's month over month growth. However, that is about the slowest in almost a year. So th- I mean, that's good, right? It's good, but I think markets are focusing more on the level of inflation than they are yeah. the trend. Like, yay, inflation is coming down. That is great. Like, don't get that twisted. But I also think that markets took relief in that for a little bit. They were like, well, inflation is moving down. That means we're done here. Like the crisis is over. And that is so far from the truth because core PCE is still increasing at a 5% clip year over year. The Fed wants that at 2%. And they have been dead serious about getting it down to 2%. And I actually think the path from, um, I think core PCE's peak was around 7% or 8% year over year. But 
the path from 7 or 8% to 5% is a lot easier than 5% to 2%. And I think we're finding that out, especially with the fact that services inflation is still around 5%, according to core PCE as well. Like that's the real problem here. We can't lean on supply chains or we can't lean on you know trade to really get us there at this, at this point. Yeah, I mean, the services ex housing, like, well, like you said, the level, I get that. So, you know, just may take some time, right? Yeah, it could take some time. And I think the longer it takes, the bigger chance that it becomes entrenched. Right. Like going back to the fact that higher inflation is probably the worst case scenario, especially for all longer term investors. And I suspect we're talking to a lot of longer term investors here. Sure. Um, You want the Fed to get this under control. Right. That's that magical. expectation game right as we hear the inflation inflation expectations and having those anchored it to you know yeah absolutely absolutely makes sense yeah and expectations have a big big part of it too so that's a great point chase got a quick follow-up on that for some maybe the more novice people out there i know you to dive deep into the data and can look at all the percent changes year over year, but is there like a time in history where you see that's comparable to today? Um, and then like if banking, the banking crisis is contained, do you think what type of environment do you see going forward if the Fed just stays put? Yeah. So Chase knows this. I'm a big market data nerd. I love looking at history for personally, for me to understand what happened before I got in the industry but also to really draw parallels between what's happening here and what's happening and what's happened in other decades and how the Fed has responded and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm going to give you a really awful answer. I actually don't think that there's a good comparison here. And a lot of people like liken it to the 1970s. They say, well, okay, the biggest risk is stagflation, right? High inflation, low growth. Like that's the 1970s all over again. And I actually don't think that's accurate. Because inflation expectations, to Chase's point, were a lot higher in the 1970s. And inflation is very psychological. Um, You can get into a situation where if people think the Fed has lost the plot on inflation, then they start hoarding stuff. They start spending their money in fear of higher prices. And then it's a snowball effect that feeds into higher inflation. That's kind of what we saw in the 1970s. And we saw a weaker economy. And there were different catalysts to start it, too. Uh, but right now, we can take a lot of comfort in the fact that inflation expectations are still close to 2 or 3%. They're working up over the next year or two. And when I talk about inflation expectations, I'm basically talking about what's priced into the bond market. Um, they are increasing a little bit. It does look like people are getting a little more nervous about overheating. Uh, but for the most part, they've been they've been stuck at pretty low levels, which means that the market believes the Fed can do this. It's a and it's incredible, right? Like through thing. this, mm-hmm. yeah, like through this one year of, you know, we, uh, what, CPI eight and eights maybe was like, was the peak through the entire thing. You had, you know, your, your five years, uh, your five year fours, 10 year fours of showing like 2.1% expectations. That's, yeah. That, that was always a phenomenal thing to me. Yeah. It's the card that I pull out whenever, and I, you can have some pretty complex thoughts about the Fed right now. I'm definitely not <laughs> not on either side of that boat here. But it's the card I pull out when people say the Fed doesn't matter. I'm like, uh, it certainly does because, sure, like look at look at what we're what we're pricing in for basically the Fed's main job. Do you think we've moved from a low inflation 
low growth environment of the 2010s to higher inflation, higher GDP? I think it's hard to say with everything that's happening in banking at the moment. If you asked me that question in February, I'd be a little bit more nervous about the fact that the, you know, the potentially longer term inflation trend could be above 2%. Um, I even wrote a note on it back in February, the dangers of persistently high inflation. And I'm an optimistic person. Like I want to be clear, I'm not a doomer over here. Uh, But there is a real risk in even having a 3% inflation rate, a 4% inflation rate, and it, it compounds, it's exponential over time. So I think the potential is definitely there and it's growing uh, as the days go on, especially if this banking crisis, or I don't like using the word crisis, especially if this banking meltdown is more of a temporary thing and it, it remains isolated within the banking sector. Um, one thing I want to point out there too, is that there's a strong demographic story that pushes toward higher inflation. And that's where Chase and I come in and possibly you too, David. I mean, it's the millennials. Um, I, I love thinking about the power that millennials have, especially as they get into their 30s and their 40s. And there are a lot of pros there. Um, there are a lot of interesting stories there. But if you have more people spending more money, then you by default have higher inflation. It's not as simple as that, but I think we tend to forget about demographics and how they play into these longer term, term economic stories. So short answer is, I think it's still a risk. I'm hopeful that the Fed can deal with it. And I think the banking fears work in that favor. But at the same time, it's still a risk that needs to be on people's minds. And it is a risk that the Fed is taking seriously. And that's a comforting fact. Yeah, I still qualify as a millennial, which is uh, which is great. <laughs> All right, David. All right, I, okay. I know just entering in that entering into those peak spending years with twins, right, and take, yeah. buying homes and doing all the things that millennials have done over the last few years. But so for millennials, David, right, I think they call you a geriatric millennial. <laughs> Fair. There are layers. <laughs> there are layers. Yeah. But right, we we didn't live. I had I didn't live through the seventies, right? So the inflation side of things is always difficult. I feel like for me personally to understand so looking forward looking into like that crystal ball tell me about like what sectors do well in these regimes as they continue to take place that millennials should look at to uh, invest in do you think a 60 40 portfolio which is kind of stood the test of the last 40 50 60 years is still the best way to invest or is it somewhat something different Yeah. So first of all, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm sorry, but also nobody has a crystal ball. So it's, uh, it's fair game there. Um, you know, with inflation sticking around with a recession on the horizon, I think there's a lot to be said for looking at tangible assets and then quality assets. When I say that, I mean, if you think inflation can stay high, then there are parts of the market that could shine in environments like that. We saw it last year um, with commodities outperforming. Oil prices were going up, but there were ways to invest in oil prices going up. Um, Real estate, for example, more tangible asset seems to do well in um, more uh, anxious periods or periods when people are more nervous. And when you do have those real assets increasing because of inflation, um, just anything around that tangible theme can get really interesting. And it all boils down to when prices are rising and fundamentals feel out of control, people get comfort in something they can touch. Um, quality, which I think is what we're seeing more of these days, is the fact that people are worried about the economic outlook, a recession could be coming, 
and they want to target themselves within stocks that can weather this storm. And I want to say too, whenever I'm talking about this, I'm talking short-term opportunities. I'm talking like over the next year. So if you're a long-term investor, this may look a lot different to you. But you know, over the next year or so, if you're worried about growth, um, if you're worried about the economy falling into a recession, um, it might make sense to look at quality, especially in different parts, in different sectors or parts of the risk spectrum. Looking at those bigger companies that have massive balance sheets after a 10 plus year expansion um, that have a lot of competitive advantage advantages within their industry, um, have you know big cash hoards to lean back on, have durable balance sheets. Uh, we've seen a little bit of that uh, this past month. Um, that's part of the reason why big tech has done, done really well in March is because some investors see that as quality. But you know, when we look at the market and we think about what could suffer in you know a potentially high rate, low growth environment, um, you know, we're looking at more of those speculative smaller companies that may not get the capital, may uh, get crushed by high operating costs. Uh, so that was a big like ball of thoughts there, but I would boil it down to quality and tangible assets. Right. So, and that was a great ball that we can kind of uh, we can roll with for a bit here. So if I'm going to go back to the, okay, you had the 2010s of your low growth, low inflation. They couldn't get inflation to 2.2 to save their life. Isn't that wild too? And the fact yeah, that we're in this scenario exactly. and we couldn't do Exactly. <laughs> right. And, and, and yeah, because inflation is hard, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's a very, very hard thing because it's largely psychological and, you know, it, it's not really... Um, you know, math, it's not money. It's all, it's all expectations and people, you know, pricing, you know, actual people pricing things. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and and this is where I'm going to say, so I'm not sold yet. I'm not sold yet on this next decade being like high inflation, you know, you're you're higher growth, but high inflation. So, so still low real growth. And and the reason why I say I'm not sold yet on, uh, because I can hear this argument. um, And like you said, Callie, demographics, Absolutely. Right. And I know it's been written out many times the deglobalization that's going to raise the prices of everything. Right. And, you, you know, uh, the, the thing I can be very sympathetic of, of is uh, different investments on climate change. That's just and that's infrastructure in energy infrastructure is what that really means. Again, that's just like a lot of investment, a lot of a lot of price. I, I get that. I get it. But the reason why I say I'm not sold on it, we've had one year of higher inflation right? PCE is, uh, you know, in the mid fours, like you said, you know, coming down, we'll, we'll see where it settles, but man, people have not liked that just right to the federal reserve to, you know, we could, that goes into the politics of the thing, right? When gas prices were up last summer, I mean, people were revolting, you know, people hate it. And so it, it makes me say like, okay, the low growth, low inflation, like you said, Callie is like, we were trying so hard to get it up. I don't think we want to get it up. People don't like it. And, you know, as we've mentioned before, expectations are still anchored low. Mm-hmm. And so for it to really happen, and, and I'm like, I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying I'm still I'm on the skeptic side of, I don't think people want it, right? I, I think they like that, whether they, they say it or not, it's the more low growth, low inflation, you know, because you always feel like you're getting a deal because the price never went up in five years. You know, yeah. so there, there's something psychological to that that I just don't know if people are are ready to change, or I guess rather to say, regimes don't change fast. 
right? Yeah. So. I love, okay, I love this thread. I want to pull on it a little bit because yep. I think it's a really interesting thought. And what we've seen over the past decade or, or so with social media is that a lot of these like bad feelings are amplified. So inflation For almost sure. feels worse because you're talking to your friends about it. You see like some some crazy doomer hedge fund analyst tweet about it and then you think about it even more. And inflation, like you said, is very psychological and it's at the front of people's minds. I'll throw out one interesting stat to you. So we do this uh, quarterly survey, eToro does, of retail investors all across different platforms, across different demographics, different ages. And um, I look at the US sliver of things, but we do it globally. And what we saw in this last survey is that older investors were much more worried about inflation, inflation than younger investors. Younger investors were more worried about a recession than older investors, which I, it's just one survey. It's one data point. But when you think about the perception of it, it checks out. Yeah, yeah yep. it certainly does. Yeah. yeah, it checks out. And if you think about who's going to own the economy and who already is starting to own the economy right now, yep. you know, maybe maybe it's not so much an issue. And I think that you can dig deeper into that around, you know, who's benefited from this latest job market recovery, you know, who has the political pull back and forth. And I, I certainly don't want to get into politics, don't worry. But, <laughs> um, you know, where people sit on either side of the political spectrum, I think that there are a lot of factors here that could really warp the way that we think about inflation and the way that we've seen mm -hmm. inflation as compared to the past. Yeah. Where people, you know, really come up, um, um, I don't necessarily mean as a kid, right? But that you're coming to age, I guess those years, man, David and I can, can say that from, you know, clients we talk to, and, and obviously we hear lots of worries, right? And worries are for the older generation. It is that, you know, seventies, eighties, that inflation, that's where they were coming up and that made that mark. And, you know, it is, they're very easily the quickest in this past year to be like, oh no, it's inflation. You know, we're all doomed. Where then you have the millennials, right? From basically age 25 to 40, right? So it's a very, obviously very large cohort. Uh, that was 08, 08 marked us. Mm -hmm. You know, we know 08, we know recessions, we know uh, banking crises. Yeah, it's not really that surprising that you would have a run that happens because of, of especially in Silicon Valley, because there were all, you know, relatively younger, let's call it under 50, under 60. Ah, it's 08. I mean, it's a banking crisis. We are very aware banks fail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, our parents weren't really, but our grandparents obviously knew that very well you know, from, you know, from when they came up, you know, in the 30s. So it's it just, it's definitely when you really want to take that longer term point of view to have that demographic view, I guess, to say of, of it, of how that shapes an entire cohort of a population, which then is, is why, you know, I can, I'm coming from a, a standpoint of it is psychological. And if you have a cohort of a population, that's just frankly, not that worried about it. Well, inflation is a pricing thing, right? It is a procurement thing to a point, right? To a point, um, you know, and, and, and I've talked about many times on how uh, I, a lot of the inflation, I mean, we did go through COVID. We haven't even said COVID yet. And that is <laughs> probably a record, even though, you know, oh yeah, you're three years away. It's, it's making its mark though, because you have waves that come off of it, right? And how much that did affect inflation, how much goes away, and then what kind of goes down. We did an entire episode one on this. I'm not going to revisit it, I promise. 
Um, anyways, it's just all, all very interesting, you know, for, for sure. on how this kind of plays out into this new, new decade. Yeah. I just, I think scar tissue matters and not enough people give value to it. Let me make a point too, just from, just from a financial planning standpoint, as we look at this and being the financial planner on docs of capital, I feel like we're talking about like quality companies and whether it's high inflation you're worried about or recession that you're worried about from an individual standpoint, those people who are prepared and are financially responsible can take advantage of the opportunities that are created, right? We talked the COVID opportunity, the banking crisis opportunity of 08, and you go back through history. I think it's really important that people take that self-responsibility to make sure they have good balance sheets themselves as you enter into these scary times to take advantage of the opportunities that are created. And not saying that I think people would miss a real key point. That's something we do for our clients here is making sure they have the cash flow that they need. They're saving consistently to take advantage of these opportunities that will come through the good and the bad. Yeah. I love that you said that, David. And I want to add too, I feel like cash got such a bad rap during the 2010s. And again, after COVID and that like year and a half bull market that we had, but cash is such a freeing part of your portfolio, even though it might be making the lowest returns, especially in a period of high inflation. It allows you to take advantage of opportunities in the market when the S&P is 10 or 15% below record highs for a year like we're in right now. But emotionally, it also gives you a lot more confidence as you move into these tougher periods. Um, it allows you to you know, take on more mental risk, if you will, um, which is, I think, I think that's a point that a lot of people gloss over. David, what I'd tell you, you just need to come on here and keep us down to earth. That's perfect. <laughs> Right. I, I told you, you'd do it. I, that's exactly what we needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just really important because not everyone remember, thinks Incredible. about that. And yep. man, cash, you actually can earn something on finally. It's kind of mm -hmm. the first time in our lifetimes, it seems like. So it is. So we're, yes, we're long-term guys. We've, we've talked about that obviously many times, however, where we're sitting today. So let's pull it in. Um, and, and let's really, as you, you already mentioned once Callie, right? Like let's think about like the next year. Let's do that. Right. So let, let's just go kind of the shorter term, the next 12 months here first. Um, we've kind of been leaving the banking crisis, banking. What did you call it again? Banking episode. Meltdown. We can call no. it. <laughs> so we can call it a crisis. I yeah. just feel like when you say that, everybody says, oh, oh my agreed. God, financial crisis. And I'm like, agreed. Banking what? episode. You know, I'll go with that because it was like two weeks, you know, and, and you know, it, it does feel like it is as contained. Um, but nevertheless, it did happen. That did change change the Federal Reserve. That changed rates a lot, you know, mm -hmm. which was which was crazy on the short end. But so this is where I'll go with it. So you've, uh, as we've been talking, Callie. So you've been saying, you know, hey, maybe it's quality or, or tangible assets because you know a recession is around the corner. You know, let's let's unpack that one a little bit. And, and I'm not going to be the one. Is or isn't it? No, it's not black and white. I, I get it. But let how do we get there, right? What is the scenario where we are getting to that recession and where is the, in, I guess, what does it look like? And then the scenario where we really don't, right? Let, let's hit both of those roads. Yeah. Oof. This is a lot to unpack. So if I had to boil the recession or no recession down to what I'm looking for, I'd look at the job market, especially leading yeah. indicators in the job market. The job market by most cuts is still incredibly strong. 
on the face, I think that there there's a bit of a sector story there. Um, so you can't say that I, p- different people are experiencing different things there, but on the whole, the job market is still quite strong and consumers are spending a lot of money. Consumer spending is 70% of GDP. That's the base we have here. That's been one of the strongest storylines of this economy over the past few years. So if we think a recession is coming, I think you have to see it in job market data first, especially those initial jobless claims and uptick in continuing claims, which is what we've seen, uh, but not to the extent that we have in uh, or before past recessions. And I think you have to see job openings come down too. I, I really think the job market is the engine of the economy right now. And that's, I'm, to be more worried about a recession, I would need to see actual recessionary evidence there. I need right. to see companies cutting jobs, which is a really hard thing to say because I don't want to see that. But as an analyst in this context, I think that's where we see the cracks happen before we're worried about a recession. Right. And to be clear with everyone on here, because I know last year we had some negative GDP prints because it was an inventory thing, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Let me just be, uh, the docs it takes, we'll put the line in the sand. Okay. If jobs are not lost, it's not a recession, period. There is no way around it, right? Everybody, so everybody knows, U3, that's the unemployment rate, right? If it does not go up, we're not in a recession. That's just, that's just a fact. That is how that works. Okay. So we'll stop with that. And in which case the, as what you said, Callie, right? So the job market has been good. And I think that the, the surprising thing is we have seen the headlines of the cuts, you know, the Amazon cuts and, and, you know, the, the tech cuts, like you said, sectors, you know, you, you nailed that. Um, so it's, Hey, so people are losing the jobs, right? What are you guys talking about? I just, quite frankly, it seems like they're getting new ones. Because we aren't seeing the data. Yeah. They're getting, yeah. So I agree. I think they're getting new ones quickly. I think that there are a few storylines that we can't really see in the data um, that honestly I can't wrap my head around. It's basically me mm-hmm. just saying, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, but I do think there's an element it's of that. never that simple. <laughs> and, yeah. And where we're seeing layoffs happen are in the sectors that had a lot of excess to begin with like the tech sector, for example, that sure. overhired during the 2010s for better or worse in finance that over, always overhires, <laughs> um, seeing cuts there and the more rate sensitive sectors as well. And I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just trying to provide context that yes, people are losing their jobs, but it, but in the grand scheme of the entire job market, it really isn't making right. a dent. Exactly. And so Okay. So, and so that's where the, you know, that's where you sit today. I, and I could not agree more, right? We've been look, watching the job market. We've been waiting, right? For, for some weakness. It's not been there now again, right? So forward thinking. So if bankings, let's, uh, bankings, if, if banks are going to curtail any sort of lending, uh, which, you know, definitely for everybody to get their, their heads around, right? We don't know if that's going to happen. That would make sense. You know, we can say that, but we won't, we won't even know if that's going to happen for six months. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm just putting a number on it. I have no idea, but it's a, it's a, in the future data point, right? And we really don't know. Is that where you would think Callie that that really did it right? Credit kind of pulled in, in which case people were like, okay, Hey, we've, we've kept our people for long enough it's time or are you seeing maybe, or, 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 or I guess to say, are you seeing the inflation, the fed is 
still being aggressive to to get people to to cut. I'm really, I guess, asking where is that scenario going to where you're seeing those job job cuts finally come through? How, what, what's going to prompt it? I think the biggest risk there is what we saw with banks and the tighter lending standards. And the reason why I say that is because tighter lending standards hit small businesses the worst. They don't hit larger companies, um, the Apples and the Facebooks of the world as much because those companies can tap the public markets for funding. Um, and that's a whole different ballgame. There is There are some parallels, but by and large, like this will hit small businesses more. And I think small businesses have had a rough few years, but I, I think they are on the I think they benefited more from the services demand. And again, I want to caveat this with like, it's never, I never am cheering for people to lose their jobs, but in the context of higher inflation and what trends we're seeing in this economy, tighter lending standards could hit small businesses and communities more than it could the larger companies. And that's generally where we've seen the strength in terms of hiring, in terms of demand. Um, Again, it's been a really tough environment. And I mean, thinking about the Fed too, like what the Fed does around all of this, I just don't see any incentive for the Fed to cut rates until there is that actual recessionary evidence, until we do see those cracks in the job market. Because if you were the Fed, why would you? Your top priority is getting inflation down. You're seeing super strong jobs data. Um, I mean, the market might try to hogtail you into it, but clearly like the Fed doesn't care. They've, They've told us time and time again. So I think expecting rate cuts is premature at this point until we see something break. And if something breaks, then you probably have other things to worry about. Absolutely. That's uh, David and I uh, have talked about uh, in, in these past couple of weeks, right? With the banking um, and uh, it, just in the environment, right? Is you just had the one SVB and I, uh, David, as you know, right, we've talked many times like, Hey man, either, you know, interest rates are going to be cut like 400 bips you know four percent because lots of banks failed or not this isn't this isn't a a middle of the road scenario on the banks right this either devolves or it doesn't you know so but to counter that so what's really interesting is we're seeing that rotation from small banks to bigger banks right deposit wise so maybe there is a middle of the road scenario there anything can happen here and banking banking issues can go systemic so quickly but it, that does look a little bit different than like 2008. There are a bunch of reasons why it looked, looks different. Bu- but, yeah, of course. Yep. But there seems to be that dichotomy where people see safety in bigger banks and they're moving from smaller to bigger. And I've actually heard, and I, and like I said, this is we're going to hear here in a couple of weeks on all the conference calls for all the banks. They're all, all going to, I'm sure, you know, they're going to get hammered on this. But I've heard a... Um, theory, right? As you just said, Callie, so you got what, 60 billion of deposits, new deposits into the big four. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, through banking regulation, right? They have to do something with that. So you could actually increase lending on the bigger side right now. It's not necessarily going to happen now. Okay. You know, we're not talking, but again, this is a, a longer, you know, run, run issue of like, do the small banks have to pull back lending? Uh, you know, if they lose deposits, then yes, that, that is factually true. Be, from how the the assets and, and liabilities work. However, if the deposits also don't just evaporate, if those deposits are going to a Bank of America and Bank of America wants to take share in small businesses, here you go. The runway's set. Do it. Go make your loans. Take share from the smaller banks. 
Um, you know, and so I, I, like I said, I've heard it just kind of schemed out of like, can't say it can't happen. Uh, you know, it's, and that's, again, it's a psychological thing. Do the bankers want to take that risk? Right. So yeah. we don't know that we aren't going to know that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's something to watch because we're already seeing yeah. what happened. I mean, the data Absolutely. showed last, like when the SVB stuff went down, deposits came out of smaller banks, went into bigger banks. Yep. Yep. And now where's the psychology for the bigger banks to say, what are they going to do with it? And again, not this week because things are still, you know, moving around, but in the longer run, you know, we don't know. We don't, we don't know that yet. Okay. Last thing, Callie. So we hit the, the, how do we get the job cuts? Right. And um, in that scenario, which as you've said, the fed really, the fed doesn't want job losses either. Mm -hmm. They want inflation to come down. Now that is a mechanism through which that could happen. That's fair. Now, let's just say, right, I'm going to build this other scenario and we'll end on a good note, right? So this is the good road that we can go down to avoid the job cuts, which would then avoid the recession, as we talked about, because the Fed would, they would probably chill out should inflation come down. So how do you see that? Can, or can you see that, right? What we were talking about, the very, very, you know, first uh, part of the show, to kind of circle it back up, right? That's that services X housing. Let's say that housing, you know, we talked about that and that that is coming down where um, that's going to be a given. So that services X housing, do you see a scenario where that could come down without the job losses? Because that would then in turn say, Hey, victory for the fed. And we can kind of move on. Is that valid? Yeah. So that's, that's the soft landing scenario. And I think there's still a chance of that. And the way that it would work there are a few ways that it could work, but the, the theory that everybody's bouncing around here is that labor supply could come in and soak up all that excess demand. And what I'm saying by that, because I know that that sounded really jargony, is we have a lot of job openings right now. Um, employees have the upper hand when it comes to wage negotiations. Wage growth is growing or excuse me, it's wage growth is slowing at the moment, but it's still quite high. Um, but the way that you can balance that out a little bit is to have more people come in and essentially take those jobs. So the, so companies don't have to be, um, on the, the kind of losing end of that negotiation. And that sounds bad, but I, I want to, everybody needs to keep in mind the fact that the, the economy is really out of balance. And right now prices are rising fa faster than our paychecks. You don't want that. I love more pay as, as much as everybody else does, but that's what the fed is ultimately trying to avoid. That's not a good dynamic. So there is a theory where labor supply could come in and soak up that job demand from companies. And theoretically, that could bring wage growth down or cool wage growth off. And, you know, hopefully that could curtail a little bit of spending um, and then kind of work its way through the economy. I think the chances of that happening are thinner and thinner as we go along, although we have seen an element of that in past job, jobs reports. Um, but it, it gets really funky because then you get into demographics, you get into immigration, you know, how do we really spur that labor supply when we have the population changing so quickly um, or, you know, certain changes not happening. So I think it's still possible. Um, again, I'm an optimist. I hope we get a soft landing. That would be the best scenario for everybody. Um, it may also just take some time, but I do think that the risk is narrow or the margin of error there is narrowing a little bit where no doubt we're, we're seeing that kind of lean on demand and the fact that companies may just have to cut jobs because demand is softening. Right. My, my, my thought on how, on the how, 
as I'm an optimist as well, right? And I, and, and I can point to the 2000-2001 recession, economic recession. I'm not talking markets here. X, 9-11, mm. right? Because a lot of people forget 9-11 happened, which absolutely, mm-hmm. that was a confidence thing for the nation, right? Yeah. I mean, you had travel, you know, go under and, and the travel industry and, and stuff like that, and obviously an exogenous event. So I'm saying now, do we know how bad that would have gotten or was without 9-11? No, of course we don't. But if it is a certain type of environment where um, in that particular recession, right, job losses were very little because spending went down because excesses just were kind of deflated out of the economy, right? So spending went down to about zero and then it went back up again. It never actually really went negative. Yeah. And so that's how I, or, or that's my optimist, uh, optimist road, right? Of, okay, if we can <clears throat> kind of engineer where the, the spending, you know, can come down and time is a massive factor just to, just to underline, I, I completely, completely agree with you, Callie. If, if people give us time, I actually think that the chance of that happening goes up a lot. If you're saying we need inflation down by September, I mean, it's just not going to happen, yeah. right? You know, the patience part of to let the economy do this, I think, organically, and what I mean is the psychology of people to say, you know, in the banking crisis may actually help here because it's, oh, maybe we should stop spending as much as we were because we don't know what's going on. That could be really good, you know, without the job losses because we can just kind of thread, it, it is threading the needle. Yeah. Everyone can agree to that, right? It's threading the needle, for sure. But I, I, that's at least how I'm, how I can see it, right? I can see it's happened before. I know it can happen like a, like an, you know, 0001 X 911 type of outcome, economic outcome here. That's, uh, that's how I would view it. Yeah. And that's what I hope will happen. It's just, you know, tapping growth a little bit lower, not necessarily hammering it right. down. Yeah. Yep. Cool. This has been such, such a fun conversation. Absolutely incredible to have you on. We're so, so honored for episode four uh, to uh, get somebody of your stature. That is, uh, that's amazing. And it has been um, easily the best episode. David, it's the best episode. I have to agree. It's awesome. Aww. I was on this one. Too, so. It's, it's way you, better than the episode you were on, right? <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and David, awesome co-pilot. Thank you so much, uh, for coming on again. Um, Callie, where can people find you? Um, any plugs that, that you have to give out? Yeah. So like we said in the beginning, I'm eToro's U.S. investment analyst. Um, I write a weekly note for them. It's called the bottom line. You can't sign up to it yet. I wish you could. We're working on it. Uh, but you can find all of my blog posts on Twitter at Callie A. Bost. That's my handle or on etoro.com backslash news and analysis. Uh, yeah, and check out eToro. Uh, we're a brokerage fo- focused on community investing and um, we have a lot of cool people on it. So yeah, come check us Love out. It. Thank you so much again. It's been a, been fun. David, you are the best. Uh, and you know, I think ne- episode five, what we have planned, right, is going to be a deep dive on housing. Ooh. Yes. I know that's going to be a popular one. That's going to be a popular one. We're working on that one now. Um, You know, next month Uh, we'll we'll do that because we're through that spring selling season. Might grab like a real estate agent or two, kind of see activity. I'll talk about you know what we're seeing in the mortgage mortgages, mortgage markets, refinancing, interest rates, all that kind of good stuff. I know 
anytime I write a note on housing, those are popular. So this will be a uh, this will be a well watched one. I know that. Yeah. Well, thank cool. you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it, and we will see you in a month.